Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Iron Works Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And we are very excited to have you all back with us today as we continue what's probably going to turn into a longer series on the Trinity today. Lots for us to discuss. And before we get to that, you all know sometimes we like to open up with a a an icebreaker, shall we say. <laughs> I've been a I went to seminary, learned how to lead small groups. This is how you do it. You the, gotta okay. start with an icebreaker. So, accepted method. So here's a a lot, these always come out of the conversations Zach and I are having before we start recording. So, Zach, let me ask you this question, just for fun. What era... Well, first of all, you're a pretty U- United States history buff, kind of like myself, right? I, like, yeah, I just love history, period. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So, I, I set myself a few years ago to try to read all the way through American history. I feel like I'm doing pretty good on that. So, days we're living in now are rather unusual days. That's what everybody uh, tells me. So, But maybe they're not. So, let me ask you this question. What era of United States history would you compare the era in which we are living on right now? I really haven't had that much history no, so far. It's only been a couple hundred a years. But nation. What would you say? What would you say you compare this time to? I'm going to take the easy answer. I think that if you look, so the, a lot of people say, well, it's centuries roughly kind of have this whole like flow to them, right? So I would look back and I'd say, okay, we're in the 19, we're in the, well, we're in the 2020s. Let's look back at the 1920s and let's see what was happening back then that maybe, you know, and again, there's no magic to this, but it's just interesting to see. Okay, well, what happened? Well, there was big periods of war that were involving, you know, lots of different nations, lots of global instability and unrest. Check. We've got uh, wide scale global sicknesses and pandemics. Check. Right. You have a big old influenza pandemic. So you're going sort of like the the, uh, the tic-tac-toe bingo route here. Well, I just I, I think it's interesting, right? Then then you've got okay, well, do you have you have big market booms and bust cycles? Absolutely, we have those. You've got this period where it seems, and I'm not trying to get political here, I'm just saying I think it's pretty fair to say it seems like a lot of things in the country are being moved and shaken by really powerful moneyed guys who have a big vision and say, I'm gonna make this happen, and they have the money to plow that through. That's a big gilded age thing, right? You've got your Astors and your Rockefellers and your guys who just had so much resources that they could deploy that capital to to really make crazy things so happen. So is it Gilded Age or 20s? Because Gilded Age, I've always understood, is like pre-World War One, Like, like industrial, 15 to 18. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, would, I would say to, it's similar to the 20s where you've got a lot of instability. You've got a lot of... A big thing that happened in the 20s, you had a lot of like... The people were always talking about like hucksterism, like people would blow through Wall Street or whatever, and there's this new thing and a bubble kind of blows up around it and it doesn't go anywhere. Lots of new technology that Lots people are of new trying technology. to struggle with and, right. and adjust so to. To me, that's the easy analog is, okay, we've got this period where there's a lot of a lot of unrest. There's a big frontier. There's a lot of new technologies that people don't really know what they're capable of yet. And we're all trying to figure out together, like how far can this go? And there's some visionary guys who are seeing where the, where the ball is going or the puck is headed or whatever. And they're the ones trying to like set the pace and, and drag us forward that would be my take on it I think. okay so yeah so you kind of went more of the i think it's like the, the cyclical the specific theory. the specific sure. I, I i guess my answer would be a little more general i was looking for vibes uh, a little more yeah vibes <laughs> like, just right. like se- seasonal epical vibes here i i think you could compare this time in history to a number of times in american history where we have had forgettable presidents Think of the times in history oh, gotcha. okay, we have okay, had forgettable okay. presence. I'm yes. thinking like post FDR forward for a couple years. Like now, they're close you... enough that we still remember, but I mean like in terms of, you know, world significance, like you're not gonna put, you know, 
Nixon or Ford up there with like Washington. You, you know see him saying? on Wikipedia and you go, oh, hey, that oh, was yeah. the president. <laughs> I think you also have the, the post-Civil War era, the, era, the cowboy era, like Rutherford B. Hayes, Benjamin Harrison. <laughs> right. Similar times, right? And uh, But I think the, the most, the closest analog probably is not quite pre-Civil War, like not quite to James Buchanan, but like that stretch. Like you, you finish up with maybe Jackson, James Polk, and then after that, you know, guys, Franklin Pierce, Millard Fillmore, John Tyler, a lot of one-term presidents, a lot of kind of forgettable things. And, and you look back at this history and you'll see that a lot of the things, the, the politics were as divided and vicious and actually violent oh, as, not as they've so. ever been, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because you look at a time like the founding era and there was there was very serious issues going on, but there almost was a better ability to get along and move things forward than there were in these era, eras of small things. I guess like the 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 things that were animating them were important to them, but in the global and historical scale, were not that big a deal. That makes sense. It's so like I think family. that that's the kids get bored and they start fighting over dumb stuff. Right. So you know. <laughs> so I think that makes it. And it's not to say that there weren't things that mattered then sure. or now, but I think what it reassures me is. You know, I think when people are going to look back on this time, they'll remember 9-11 probably because of Bush. But sure. I mean, even you look at Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden, it's, it, these are, are largely, I think, going to be forgettable times, forgettable periods. I think that's some good perspective. And yeah. I think that can be helpful. Um, of course, we're living in it, so it's right. it's not as helpful as you'd <laughs> like it to be. But um, it's very important to us right now. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's just an interesting conversation to have, and uh, we're certainly not trying to get political over this stuff here. Maybe we could do that another day, but we're not going to do it now. Uh, reason we bring this up is because I think you see a similar thing that happens in terms of theology. Uh, we've already hit this a little bit last time, that when we're talking about the Trinity, you have the same two or three heresies and errors that come up over and over and over again. And depending on the bent of the people that are encountering them, you have different responses and, and you have to remind yourselves of certain things. But the Trinity is one of those doctrines that has been around so long that the answers are so well established that it's a matter of looking backwards and remembering. I mean, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity has been formally defined for 1600 years plus. And of course, we believe the doctrine itself has been true you know, since there was before there was time, right? In the beginning. But when we look at the the rise of modalism, which is the idea mm -hmm. that God is only one and sometimes he appears as the father, sometimes the son, sometimes the spirit. All right, that's an error going all the way back, like to immediately post the councils that defined the doctrine or Arianism, which was, of course, the doctrines of Arius, that Jesus was a created being, the Holy Spirit was impersonal, etc. You see that with the Jehovah's Witnesses. You see that with other various groups. You see it sneaking into the church mm. uh, implicitly. And all these things have, have been done before. It's like the beginning of uh, the Peter Pan movie. I have young children. Can you tell? Uh, <laughs> the beginning of the movie says, all this has happened before, and it will all happen again. Right. But this time it happened here, right? That's, that's kind of the story of Trinitarian doctrine is, yeah, we've been through this before, and it's going to happen again, but this time it happened here. And the reason that we have to remember that uh, is because you're going to see a, always, you know, the new hotness of theological thought that will run through. And I'm not really even today's thinking of anything specific, but it happens. Uh, you have to remember why we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity in the first place. And Zach, I've 
seen people online, you know, there's there's a whole wing of conservative political commentators that also fancy themselves amateur theologians. Um, I remember this was, I think, Dennis Prager, and maybe Jordan Peterson was in on this too, and uh, and others who will say things like, I, I often wondered what caused Christians to speculate I was gonna say, did you just the doctrine call of Dennis the Trinity. Prager a theologian? I said, I said, no, I said a political commentator ah, who fancies himself an amateur <laughs> just checking, theologian. Just all right? But yeah. they, they had this conversation, uh-huh. and it might have been, um, what's that other guy? The uh, the black radio host from L.A. What's his name? Larry Elder. I think it might have oh, been him okay. in the sure, conversation sure. too, but I might be wrong. Who cares? But they were saying, talking about you know religion and God and the place of God in society, and this this conversation came up where they go, I've always wondered what what caused Christians to speculate and and <laughs> postulate the doctrine of the Trinity, and and they're like, I don't really understand what you know. We understand why people worship God as Father because you know fathers are important, but what is it about a three person God? And have you Trinity come across was, that? Is this the Trinity was a creative writing project yes. that we all just like yeah, embarked I mean, on. Have you come across that attitude, sort of like wondering, like why do we even, where did this come from in the first place? Yeah, a lot of times you, it's because some of those, the, the, whether or not you realize it right now, so many of these not Christian thinkers about Christianity, <laughs> so many of their their thought process right now is being influenced by like psychology from Carl Jung and, and things like that, and and all these these and Prager of course is Jewish, sure, so he, he sure. doesn't believe in the Messiah, obviously, and so. all these theories come from this like evolutionary theory basically speaking of stuff we've been talking about in the podcast of of religion where it's like well religions start simple and then they get more complex mm-hmm. this is like a, a, an accepted they, they believe like, that's how it works so so we, we find this core idea of god but then he, god gets more complicated over time so they, they get obsessed with this and they try and find it everywhere in in world religions now of course we know that that that's that is an idea that they're importing into things and they're assuming, they're, they're not telling you this, but they're assuming that all religions are basically a story we're coming up with. And so how did the story develop and evolve and get retold? Yeah, and that's, I think that's, that's Walter that, Bauer, who was the sure. uh, one of the higher criticism guys that put the idea out there that all religions evolve from simple to complex. And that's sort of so baked into academia certainly that if anybody who's taken a theology class at a a secular university that's been taught you've been taught this and and and, and often without realizing it and you have to that's why you have to listen for some of these ideas where they say well when did this idea develop and and a lot of of times that's a code word for when did when did people people didn't always believe this when did they invent this new idea to add to the old ideas and and i think part of the the challenge with that is and we'll we've been we have been talking and we'll continue to talk about this as as we talk about the trinity that's not how this works. Now, now is there yeah. there is progressive revelation for sure. We've talked about that already. That that the the we, the Trinity is progressively revealed. But to but to talk about it as if it's something that one day we all just decide, you know what? Wouldn't we, it be cool? Yeah, a single <laughs> God, a God with one person is just too simple. We've got to differentiate ourselves from the Muslims and Jews. So let's come up with a what's our brand? Like hey, how do we? You know, I, I'll correct your history you, there. Islam came. 600 years after Christianity. We already no, had no, we already no, had I, the Trinity established by then. I, I, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm saying like their, their idea of how they, div- how uh, what they're talking about is as if. I get, your, I get your point. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? They're coming like as if that we just sat there one day and said, well, we're not different enough and we've got to like invent new things. Here, here's that's a real down to earth, blue collar way of asking the question that they ask all fancy is, we know that this is, is stupid. We know it's yeah, not true, yes. but it is interesting. Where'd you come up with that? Right. That that's what's really being asked. Yes. But here's the answer. We did not come up with the idea of the right. Trinity right. as Christians. We believe that God is triune because the Bible tells us so. 
The Christian believes that God is triune, that there is the Trinity, because that word, Trinity, with all of the appropriate explanations of what it means, the full Athanasian Creed, as we've discussed before, that is how we can define who God is and accommodate all of the biblical information that we have about him. Now, the Bible doesn't have the word Trinity in it, but that's the word that we use as shorthand to describe the important parts of what the Bible says about God, who it, about who God is. One God in three persons, the difference in the ontology, the economy of the Trinity, the hypostatic union of Christ, the doctrine of perichoresis, all of these things, the, the relationships of origin, that's all contained in the word Trinity. And each one of those things that I just described is our way of bringing together everything that the Bible has to say. And the, people will, will push back on this and they'll say, but that's not in the Bible. And it's like, no, yes, yes, it is. And I've, as I've said, and I'm saying this kindly now, uh, that many people who have serious problems with the doctrine of the Trinity very often don't know exactly and specifically what the mm, doctrine of the Trinity yes, is. Yes, that's a good point, actually. So we, you said this, and let's just jump into it. The Bible reveals truth progressively, progressive revelation. What that means is all the things the Bible says have been true since the beginning, but in the way that scripture has unfolded, God was not giving us a textbook, right? God did not give us a textbook about him. What he gave us was first the the stories of Genesis, and then you have the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then you've got other stories. You've got the prophetic words given for the moment. You've got the Psalms. Then you have, of course, the stories of Jesus. You have the book of Acts, then the epistles, then the book of Revelation at the end. All of these were were occasional is a word that is that is given, meaning they, they arrived for a specific occasion, for a specific purpose and reason. But as these things were revealed, as it spoke about God, it spoke about him as he was. And so over time, we gained a clearer and clearer picture of who God is. This especially, especially is true from Old Testament to New Testament, that the, the as I like to say, the Holy Spirit shepherds us to the doctrine of the Trinity. That starts out by saying God is, and God's doing all kinds of triune things in the Old Testament. From the first couple of verses. Right, that right. don't make a whole lot of sense in the in the terms we've given, but as God finishes his book, it all makes sense. One of my, I say this to my kids a lot. We're watching a movie. My daughter will be like, "What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Is he gonna? Is he gonna make it? Is she? Is she gonna do that?" I, and I sometimes say rather snidely, "I'll bet if you watch the rest of the movie, you'll find out." And that's kind of how it is reading your Bible too. Yeah, yeah. Is you've got to read the whole book to understand it. Progressive revelation. It's not referring to progressive politics, is it, Zach? No, and it's also not <laughs> referring to even like progressive doesn't mean because we use that word nowadays to mean some different things. It's not meaning evolving revelation meaning god didn't True. say god didn't say at one point i am one and that's it and then later say okay now actually I, things have changed that's not what happens it's progressive revelation it's unfolding revelation it's like you said it's like any good story you, at the beginning you have the story and then you have foreshadowing of the conclusion and as you keep going, there's more and more foreshadowing and new events are revealed and new new aspects of characters are revealed. And suddenly you get to a point where you're like, oh, I can see where I think this is headed. 
Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the end, if it's a very good book, you can go back to the first chapter and see, look, they had it in there at the beginning. They, they had figured, you know, J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling is great at this or, you know, different authors where it's like, look, that character was being that character exactly as they are in the end all the way at the beginning. Oh, but yeah. because but, I didn't. Like a, like a Christopher Nolan movie. Like you have to watch it twice. Exactly. To, but, oh, and it was there all the time. But I didn't <laughs> see it at the beginning because I didn't have the full understanding of where we were headed with this. I didn't have all the pieces together. Now that I do, I can see that they didn't cheat at any point. Yeah. The, the character didn't suddenly become a different character. They were true to themselves the whole time, and I just was assembling all the pieces that I was. I didn't given. have the information exactly to, to establish it, and I think part of that is because there is a a lack of what we call didactic literature in the Old Testament. So the the epistles, for example, are what's called didactic, it comes from the word for teaching, teach right. in the Bible. So Paul in the book of Romans is a classic example of didactic literature. He's saying, this is what God did, this is who Christ is, and this is what it means. It's very straightforward. The Old Testament has that. It has some of that. The law has quite a bit of that. The prophets have some of that. But more of it is, as I said, it's occasional. You know, a psalm will give praise to God for something, and we go, really? God's like that? It's kind of, it's given in passing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Bible shepherds us to the doctrine of the Trinity. And if you're going to believe in the whole entirety of scripture, that's the conclusion you're going to come to. Now, I want to answer an objection here that you often hear from those of a more uh, academic bent more often. They say that the Old Testament writers, for example, could not possibly have known about the Trinity because Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh Uh, The Holy Spirit's doctrine was not fully revealed either. They knew that God was one, as Deuteronomy revealed. Therefore, because they did not believe in the Trinity, these people, to, to their credit, they're not saying that they would have denied the Trinity. They say, because it had not been revealed to them yet, you cannot draw any Trinitarian data from the Old Testament because those writers never intended you to understand it that way. Okay, well, that's on... <laughs> okay, yeah, why don't you go explain us what the problems are? Well, the, I can yeah, see the some. problem with that is that you have, number one, you have dual authorship of the Bible. Right. Peter says that men who wrote the Bibles were carried along... The Bibles. <laughs> who wrote the Bible were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right. Uh, you, you look at, for example, at Psalm 22, where David writes this psalm. Uh, the first words of which are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is what Jesus said on the cross. You go on to read that psalm, and it's a description of how David feels like he's just being ripped apart by all of his enemies. And when are you going to come and help me, God? But, but in details. Yeah, in details. it, he gives this incredibly specific description mm-hmm. of crucifixion. Mm-hmm. They've pierced my hand and my feet. They're casting lots for my clothes, but I can count all my bones. I'm surrounded by dogs, you know, Gentiles. I'm surrounded by these people. And then you get to Jesus on the cross. He quotes from that psalm. You go back and read it and you go, whoa. What does this tell us? David was writing beyond himself, right? The Holy Spirit inspired him to choose these exact words. And that takes this song that David was writing into a a detailed prophecy of the son of David and what what he went through. So we believe in many different ways that the Old Testament and New Testament writers wrote beyond themselves. They wrote beyond just what they were able to do. And we have to remember that. Once again, over and over, there's this big key. And when you're doing biblical theology is you have to use the whole Bible to do biblical theology. <laughs> you can't just, it's, it's not good to just take one piece and say, oh, from this piece we prove. It's like, wait, wait, wait. The, God gave us a whole book Right. For a reason. So we have mm-hmm. to, we are supposed to use that progressive revelation to carefully 
and this makes it sound like um, it's not that you're it's not like you're assembling a code or, or some secret message. You're just using all the information that you have. And you can make mistakes if you only use, and, and that's how heresies often happen, if you only use part of that information and use it to say something that is corrected or wouldn't be admissible mm-hmm. under the whole revelation. First Peter 1.10, Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the gospel, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit mm-hmm. of Christ in them was indicating when right. he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Meaning, they were writing things down that they didn't get, that yet. they did not understand, right. that the Holy Spirit was telling them. And they were trying to understand who is this about? Imagine Isaiah writing Isaiah 53, right. going, What is this? Or what time? When, Lord? And it says in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Mm-hmm. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Pretty cool. Even angels yes. didn't understand that and still don't quite understand it. So that that's our, our proof text if we needed one. This is pretty well accepted theology that uh, the Old Testament writers... No, they didn't quite understand everything they were saying, but they also were aware that they didn't quite understand everything that we're saying. People say this out of an attempt to uh, defend the human nature of Scripture, which I am in favor of that, right? We believe that the Lord used the personalities and the styles right. and the grammar of the people whom he used, but you cannot push that to the extent that the Lord somehow vanishes in there mm. and that he's not there any longer. The Holy Spirit was revealing things to the prophets so that even if they themselves would not have interpreted their writing specifically that way, upon further revelation by the other author, the Holy Spirit, right. then you should be able to read it of that course. way. Of course, yeah, yeah. So we're going to look at the, the biblical data today. We're going to look at all these pieces of evidence that the scripture gives us, first looking at how it progressively reveals who the Trinity is and, and then bring it all together. And then uh, we've got some fun passages to share towards the end. So uh, let's start with the Old Testament. Zach, do you want to read for us Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, at least just that, that first part of the, that verse? Yeah, famous passage, the, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. You wanna, you wanna spit on that for a minute, Zach? <laughs> well, I mean, this is and and this is, hey, it's you know, this is a monotheistic declaration. There's one God. There's not many gods. God is not, you know, there's not a pantheon of equal beings that are God. And you know, the 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 Jews still they they affirm it's called the Shema. is is a statement they're supposed to make several times a day. That hey, remember Israel, we believe in one God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now th- this is this would be a case where somebody would look at this and say, well, see, see, God, just one. Just one God, right? And and now the 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 challenge there, right? We talked about with progressive revelation, but it's look at look at what's important. This is why progressive revelation is important. God is starting with people. Where did they come from? They come from Egypt, and God's saying, "Hey, uh, they had a few gods in Egypt." Yes, and you, God is you, you've saying, "You've heard the song from Prince of Egypt, so you." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know right. So God is saying, "Look, well, I I beat all those gods very very clearly and demonstrably with all these you know plagues and miracles. I am not like them." There's not many of me. There's one of me, mm-hmm. right? And he's te- it's a t- like a teacher. God is starting from the first principles, right? Hey, the first thing to know about me <laughs> is that I am one. One, is that I am only one, right? right? And and so now you've got that statement. Now if if, if it stopped there. I think we would have a reason to maybe also stop there. Yeah, and but- we should pause there at least now and just kind of remind everybody we're talking about the Trinity. And when people think of the Trinity, they usually think in terms of threeness, but right. the Trinity equally 
affirms the oneness of God. We only oh, believe in one God. Right. So if you are listening to this and maybe you're confused on the Trinity or maybe you've heard something else, you come from uh, a different denomination or something, and you've heard, well, Trinitarians believe in more than one God, we do not. <laughs> we believe in one God. Th- this statement goes unchallenged in the New Testament. Ephesians 4 verse 6 says there's one God and Father well, of all. Well, that's a common accusation yeah. too. Both Jews and Muslims say, ah, Christians yeah, Muslims are polytheists. Call us polytheists. Right, meaning we've, oh, you believe in three gods. And you have to be careful, t- by the way, in the way that you are explaining the Trinity to people like that, because if you're not careful, you can explain it in a polytheistic way. You have to always come back to it. No, no, but God is one. Yeah. God's one. He's not He's not three gods. He's not three He's not three separate beings. Mm-mm. And, and so you're, that's right. When you start from that point, you can remember, okay, whatever else God is going to say about himself, it still has to align with this truth he's told us, which is that he is one. Yeah, this is the this is the first plank that the Bible right. lays down, that right. there is one God. James 2.19, another New Testament passage says, you believe that one that God is one, you do well. Right. <laughs> Good. That's like, right. <laughs> yes. You're supposed, it, it goes absolutely assumed, as does all the other information of the Old Testament, by the way. The New Testament is not in opposition to the Old. And some people even think that the, the division is less than helpful, and sometimes I agree with them. But there's one God. He's the living God, right? And so... That's undisputed. We're not going to sit here and fight with you. And for those of you that say, oh, come on. Yeah, you really do believe in three gods. I'm telling you that the doctrine of the Trinity is specifically and technically worded in such a way to protect the doctrine to of there being one God. This yeah. is undisputed. And this right. is usually not the part we have uh, trouble with, at least in our culture. They say, okay, one God, I can get on board with that. And that, at least for simplicity's sake, okay, if there's going to be God, there's going to be just one of them. But here's the deal. So we're going to that's affirmed, assured and never going anywhere. However, as we begin to read through the Old Testament, you see that the descriptions that it gives of this one God, that you know, this is not bait and switch. This is still true. The descriptions they give of one God would cause you to raise your eyebrows because it talks about God in such a way that you would not normally talk about a singular monad. He's a complicated one It hints one at God. complexity is right. the word. That the, there's, the door is left open, so to speak. That the Old Testament does not shut the door on Trinitarianism. It leaves it open. We are still monotheists. We believe that God is one. However, what we're going to see as we look at this now is that that phrase, God is one, as it is explained by the Old Testament itself, so you can't just say, well, the statement, God is one, done and done. That rhymed. I didn't mean to, but there you go. <laughs> God is one. That's that's all we have to say. All right. But you have the 39 books of the Old Testament that describe one God in ways that you yourself probably would not understand them if they were not there. So we, we already kind of referenced this, but if we're going to talk about God as one, you've got to look at this first verse of the Bible, right? In Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Pause. We're at verse two. Right. And we've already got a question to answer. Verse one, you see, God created the heavens. Then in verse two, the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Now you're used to that sentence. And you might go, oh, come on, it's not a big deal. Well, hold on. You have to answer these questions. Are these the same? 
Is this just a metaphor that we're using? Why would the author of the Bible allow for ambiguity around such an important topic? Now, one God is a pretty simple concept, and if you only (laughs) want to convey that, it's pretty easy to not leave any door open that there's any more complication in who God is than just one. You could just only ever talk about him like I would talk about you, Tyler. I would never talk about Tyler in terms of saying, well, Tyler was doing this, and then the spirit of Tyler was doing that. People would say, what do you, what do you mean? Even though right. we believe, I believe Tyler has a soul, but Tyler Gee, is a, thanks. But, but Tyler is a <laughs> simple being. So I don't believe that Tyler's soul is a separate person. And therefore I would never talk about, well, well, Tyler's spirit was thinking this and then said this, but Tyler said, Tyler, the Tyler, the person or Tyler over here. No, I would never talk like that. It'd yeah. be very easy for me to never leave that door open. Yes. And the Bible is not afraid to slam the door shut on the wrong idea right. when it needs to. Read through, you know, Joel or Amos or Nahum, if you have any questions mm-hmm. about that. But not even that. Okay, so God and then the Spirit of God. That's all right. You might say that's not a big deal. Well, <laughs> let's take a look at this one. Even the word that it uses for God in this passage is more complicated than it seems. The Hebrew word there is Elohim. And some Elohim, that's the name of God. It is the name of God. But it's also a Hebrew word. And if you're going to parse this word, it is a Hebrew plural noun. The word for God in Hebrew is El, which means God. That's why you have a lot of Bible names that end with El, Daniel, Samuel, right? It ends with the word for God. So you have this word El, which means God, but here we have God as a plural noun. So it it could be in a different context, you could translate this word God's. Like you could legitimately translate it that because that is the plural form of the word, right? depending on the context, remember. So what you have here in the first verse of the Bible, you have a plural noun referring to God with a singular verb. Now, some of y'all remember your grammar class that if you have a noun and a verb, they have to agree. Mm -hmm. You can't have a plural noun and a singular verb or vice versa. Yet that is exactly what we have. If I can be really crude in how I translate this here, it, it almost would read to somebody who spoke this language and wasn't familiar with the doctrine of this passage would come and say, in the beginning, God's created. But created is a singular verb. It's like Spanish. We don't parse verbs by number in right. English. But, okay, now some people say, oh, there you go. It's just left over that God was, you know, became the singular God. Originally, Israel believed in multiple gods. That is not the case because Elohim as a, as a proper noun is only ever used right. with singular verbs. That is a consistent pattern throughout scripture all the way to the end. It doesn't and, drop in yes. now as if it was some sort of evolving phrase that missed the, the redactors missed it somewhere like that. That's not the evidence that we have. The evidence we have is that they have all, always Whenever people have written from the Old Testament on about God, they they have understood that God is one, but also something else is going on. <laughs> it's just weird, is all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that, that's, that, that's what we're saying, trying to point out to you, right? Yeah, that it's the kind of thing that maybe isn't a big deal on its own, but if you believe in the Trinity, it's the kind of clue you should expect. Right. So even in the Shema, mm-hmm. when it says the Lord our God, the Lord our Elohim is one. The Lord our gods is. One. <laughs> is one. Yeah. So, so it's, 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 it's there's pretty the plur- interesting. There's the plurality, and then it's forcing you back to the singularity, I guess, to use it. Like it's saying, hey, th- there's a plurality here, but it's also, but you've got to remember, it's one. 
Now, he, some, he is one, you know, so that's some a, people will say, yeah. well, what this is, is it's a plural of majesty. Like it just refers to God as more than one God in order to ascribe majesty to his name. If that is the case, that is the only word in the Bible that does that. Mm. And I'm not going to push this. So we, we do know that when it says Elohim, it's translated as God singular because that is how it should be understood. But what, again, it's introducing questions. If God's monotheism is so important that it needs to be recited over and over again, then why is his very name in the Old Testament a singular entity composed of distinct parts? Now, if that was all we had to go on, it might not mean much. But it does not stop there. The Spirit of God is distinct from God. So at the very least, right, that's that's confusing, right? We already hit on this this idea that if you believe if you're a Unitarian, you you're probably not going to, apart from scriptural revelation, say things like God did this and the Spirit did that. And a Unitarian, just to be clear, would be a person that doesn't believe in the Trinity. They believe in that God is just a singular God is a monad. One yeah, one God, one person, right, which yes. we do not affirm. Now, here's the deal. That is not the only place in the Bible that suggests that idea, that right. distinction. Now, remember, I'm not trying to convince you there's more than one God. We believe there is only one God. We are trying to understand how to understand what the Bible means when it says there right. is one God. We're letting the Bible define its terms for us. Okay? So let's look at this verse. Psalm 33, verse 6. Zachary, read that one for us. Psalm says, 33, 6. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Okay. okay, what's complicated about this? Seems simple. Okay. By the word of the Lord, the heavens are made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. This tells us that an act of creation, something that can only be done by the Lord, was accomplished by the word of the Lord and the breath of his mouth. The word and the breath. This is actually hmm. one of those incipient Trinitarian verses from your Old Testament, by the way. The word for breath is the word ruach in Hebrew. It's the same word that is translated spirit in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So once again, we see the Spirit of God, whatever that is, according to our progressive revelation, participating in acts that only God can perform. The Lord made the world. Jehovah did that. How did he do it? By his Ruach and by his word. That's interesting. Why is it Why is it giving you, again, It's if it just wanted to say God made stuff, it would be very simple to express that, you know? Yeah. Now, you might say, that's just poetry. Yes, it's poetry. However, if you're going to... Uh, two, two things. Number one, if you're going to look at it from a New Testament perspective, again, it's exactly what you should expect the Bible to say. You look at it and you go, whoa, the Word and the, and the, and the Ruach, the Word and the Spirit, Jehovah God made the world by His Word and by His Spirit. Isn't that exactly what the Trinity is? Yes. Right, right, right. But say, well, it's just poetry. You shouldn't jump to that conclusion. It is just poetry, but it is not the only place in the Old Testament that does that. The Bible does this again and again and again. Proverbs chapter 8 talks about the wisdom of God in a separate or distinct personified way. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from the everlasting, from the beginning, before there ever was an earth. I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. That's Proverbs 8, 22 through 23. And then I skipped down to verse 30. So here again, you have an attribute of God, the wisdom of God, personified as distinct from God, eternally alongside God, doing works that only God can do. So do you see that? It's, well, yeah, God's wisdom. It's, it's just clever poetry. But y'all does it over and over again. Wisdom comes out and says, I was with God in the beginning and I created. And I've always been alongside him. 
Job 26, 13 does the same thing. By his spirit, he adorned the heavens. Job 33, 4, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. So, Zach, you're running into lots and lots of these passages and we haven't even quoted them all where it takes an attribute of God, what we would call an attribute of God coming in cold, personifies it, ascribes works to it that only God can do, and provides us again with this complex, kind of confusing approach to the oneness of God. Because you're going to remember that over and over, God's emphasizing, I, I am the Lord your God, I am one. So what is the oneness of God like? Well, God's oneness is like this. His spirit is alongside him in the act of creation. Well, only God creates. That's right. But God's spirit is the one who's creating. Okay, well, okay. So also, it's like the, the wisdom of God is participating in, and, and uh, you can probably already see where we're going, this linking the wisdom to the word, right? Which is another person of the Trinity. So we're, so God's, that's also part of the, but remember, God's one. We're going to keep saying it over and over because that's the thing we say, right? We're, we're the Israelites. We say the, the Shema. We say that God's one. Okay. The Lord is but, one. But God's oneness is a little confusing to me because it's not like my oneness, apparently. Mm -hmm. There's something about God's oneness that's different than my oneness. Right. So moving on from this little section here, creation is an act that belongs to God alone. Nobody else can create universes. <laughs> right. Just God. And yet in its descriptions of creation, the Old Testament seems to have other players at stake here, closely related to God and yet distinct from him subtly. And the most common ones are the word of God and the wisdom of God, right? And then separate from those, you have the spirit of God. So again, none of this is definitive on its own. You're, like, You're not convincing me. I'm just trying to show you that this is not the way we talk about single person, single substance entities. Remember, we're getting... It opens up the door a right. little bit. It lays a foundation, then it says, okay, now that you understand that, here's the next here's the next piece you need to put in your mind, though. Right? Is Here's this addition to that. Uh, in addition might even be the wrong word. It's just it, more information that you're being given that's beginning to complicate your understanding. Yeah. So the next piece, so, okay, we've got these mysterious characters that are somehow related to the one God, the word or the wisdom of God and the spirit of God. The Old Testament gives us another figure whose biblical descriptions should cause us to pause a little bit. This is the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. You see this person in the Old Testament many times. Now, the word angel means messenger. And we know what an angel is. An angel is a spirit being sent from God to do his will. However, you have a few times where it specifically identifies the angel of the Lord and you almost have to capitalize the A. Why? Because this angel in these certain instances does, says, and acts in such a way that only God could do. Mm -hmm. He appears to Hagar and prophesies about her son Ishmael in Genesis 16. He appears to Abraham in Genesis 22 and stops him from slaying his son on the mountain. He appears to Jacob in a dream in Genesis 31. We see him in the burning bush speaking to Moses in Exodus 3. In Exodus 14, it says he was the one that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. Joshua fell down to worship him. In Joshua 5 and 6, yeah. Gideon saw him in Judges 6. Judges 13, the parents of Samson saw him, and when they saw him, they said, we're going to die because we have seen the Lord. Hmm. So who is this? <laughs> who is this angel who not only speaks for God, but leads his people and receives worship from the people? Let me put it to you this way. Moses was afraid that God... When God said, I'm going to leave, I'll send an angel to lead you through the wilderness. And Moses said, no, 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 you stay with us. 
And yet, when the Lord said, okay, the Bible still describes the angel of the Lord going before them. Mm -hmm. So who is this? Who is this who's spoken to as if he's God, speaks as if his voice was God, and yet is described as distinct from God? The angel of the Lord. Like These are kind of anomalous stories, Zach. Like you, It'd be easy just to say, well, he's an angel. He's, just, he's one of God's angels. But that's not how angels typically act when not we see them. Not at all. Them. In fact, the the biggest one to me on that list is the receiving of worship. Angels have a very clear pattern of behavior all through Scripture. Many, many people try and worship angels. Almost everybody who sees an angel tries to get down on their face and worship the angel. And every time the angel says, stop, don't do that. Don't don't worship me. I'm I'm like you. I'm a servant of God. They, they, they make it very clear. They say, get up, get up, don't do that, right? Because they know that, hey, the last guy that did that, <laughs> he got thrown out of heaven. You don't do yeah. that. Don't worship me, right? I'm not you're not allowed to I'm not allowed to have you mm-hmm. do that. But the angel of the Lord doesn't do that. He never rebukes somebody for worshiping him. For making burnt offerings to him yes. and falling on his face. Now that's a big deal. Right. That's not just you. You can't. That's not just. Oh, well, it's just a sign of respect. It's not. Worship is a very clear in the Old Testament, especially you worshiped physically. There were acts you did of worship like you with your body, like, you you know, you put yourself lower and stuff for this being, whoever this being is for it, for that being to receive that 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 homage is saying, yes, I'm you, that's OK. I'm worthy of this thing that you're doing. And those are acts that you were only supposed to do to God. Yeah. So that says something about whoever this being thinks that he is, he puts himself on that level of being yeah. worthy to receive. Remember worship. what happened to Herod when Herod was being heralded uh, as a god? He got eaten by worms. He got ate. <laughs> right. <laughs> he got right, ate right, right. by worms. Yeah, yeah. So what what are we trying to say? We're not doubting God's word that God is one. Not at all. We're trying to honor the fullness of God's word by understanding what he meant when he said he is one. There's really, there's one angel of the Lord passage that it's very hard to get around the fact, if you, as you look at this, that the angel of the Lord huh. and the Lord himself are used interchangeably when the Bible describes this. Let me read you this. This is from Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. Let me say that again. (laughs) And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. They put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Okay, so let me just break this down for you. Satan hauls Joshua before the angel of the Lord, who it seems that the angel of the Lord has some kind of heavenly jurisdiction here. And then the Lord calls upon the Lord to rebuke Satan. It's, how is that possible? It's weirdly phrased. Like, yeah. it, it, how, it does is. The, how is God speaking of himself here? And then it, it also appears that the angel of the Lord pronounces Joshua's sins forgiven. And to quote some skeptical Pharisees, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's right. And the fact that it's even difficult to tell who is speaking in this passage, however you break it down, the angel of the Lord is speaking with words that only belong in the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. It's also just an amazing passage. It's one of my favorite yeah, passages oh my goodness. in the whole Bible. I could preach it's incredible. that yeah. every week. Yeah. The point of sharing that for you is to demonstrate the high regard 
that the Old Testament has for the angel of the Lord. You can't just sweep this under the rug. And there's different uh, debates on saying, all right, is this an angel of the Lord in this context, an angel from the Lord? Or is this, you know, the angel? And the reason we even have this category of the angel of the Lord is because of passages like this one. Mm -hmm. He's given divine deference. He exercises divine privileges. And yet he is very clearly distinct from God. He's very clearly standing before or alongside the Lord. So again, strange if we're talking about the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Combine that with the earlier descriptions we had of God's spirit, of God's word and his wisdom. You're seeing that, yes, unquestionably, God is one, but there might be more going on here. Mm-hmm. Right, Zach? Yeah. There might be more going on to this. So the last thing I want to see related to the Old Testament, I want to get into the new here. And all I'm trying to do, for those of you who believe that there is no such thing as the Trinity and that's something we made up, I'm trying to take you through the Old Testament, which unequivocally affirms monotheism and show you that this is actually rather complicated. Right. So let's look at the Old Testament and its description of the Messiah. Zach, who is the Messiah? He's Israel's coming savior, right? This is the whole, one of the, probably the theme of the Old Testament is, okay, guys, hang in there because there's somebody's coming. He's coming. He's going to, we're not really sure what he's going to look like, but he's going to be like this. He's going to come from the line of David. He's going to save us. All these things that we're dealing with now, they're going to be fixed, made right, fulfilled when he arrives on the scene. He's the promised son, right? From like the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, it starts talking about the Messiah. Yes. Now, the word Messiah, Mashiach in Hebrew, means anointed one. He's the coming son of David. He's a king. He's a kingly figure. There's more to it than that, but he's a kingly figure who's going to step up and who is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And clearly the Messiah is to be a man. He's called the son of David, right? He's, he's, they're looking for him to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, right, the right, prophet right, Micah right, says. Right. But certain descriptions of the Messiah are so lofty that it's troubling from a monotheistic perspective. Like if you were to talk about any other clear human this way, then you'd need to be taken aside, (laughs) maybe taken out to the woodshed a little bit. So Zach, read for us Psalm 45 verses six and seven. It says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Did he just call the Messiah God? In that passage? Yeah, in a way that's a little bit grammatically hard to <laughs> hard hey, to get at first. Yeah. He he starts out by saying, Your throne, O God. You read the rest of the context. Right. He's clearly talking about the king here. Yeah. The coming king. Your throne, O God, is forever. That's why your God, who is God, loves you. You have two entities in these verses that are both described as God and they are clearly distinct. One of from whom each is other. one of whom is on a throne. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, yeah, yeah, it's, it's to the point that it's almost, he's inter, he's almost feels like he's interchanging them oh, in places where he's saying, well, well, you're, so you're on this earthly throne, but also the, the, the one seated on the throne, meaning like the heavenly throne is also, and you're like, wait, which is, which one's on the throne? Like, it's confusing when you read it, if you're trying to shrink it all down and say that, oh, God's only just a, mo- a monad. Yeah. Clearly the Messiah is just a man. However, the Old Testament, in a couple places, that's the, an obvious one, Yeah, starts to call him God and assign these divine characteristics. Now, you could say, well, these are just royal honors that were given to the king. But you can't have it both ways, 
Bible scholars. You can't say either the Jews were so careful about their descriptions of God and his oneness that there's no possibility for Trinitarian language to ever be in the Bible, right. or they were so sloppy in their in their language of describing the king and in ascribing divine titles to him that, that that's why we can't believe it as Trinitarian. You can't have both, but the thing is, they do have confusing language in how they refer to God, and they are fiercely defensive of their monotheism. So the Bible describes it this way. And as somebody who believes the Bible myself, I have to try to assimilate this into my understanding of who God is. What's the point here? We're going through this Old Testament to show you that this idea of one God, which is absolutely biblical and true, is complicated. Mm-hmm. And this is not just New Testament innovation. If you're a a Jew, perhaps, listening to this and you're just not sure what to think, even in the Old Testament, we haven't even touched the New Testament yet. Right. People that want to say, no, we made it up. You've got to reckon with the fact that your Bible, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, describes distinction within the Godhead of the Spirit, of the angel of the Lord. Now, if you were to just read, like Zach, if you were to just read these verses about the angel of the Lord or the wisdom of God and the spirit of God, and you didn't have any of these doctrinal proclamations that God is one, you might not even conclude that God is one. You might, it might be very easy to come up with a sort of Mount Olympus like pantheon thing of like, oh, well, there, you know, in heaven there is God's wisdom and God's angel and God's spirit and and th- there's this there's God on the throne. Like you you would just start personifying all these things and saying, oh yeah, that all of these people are gods. It, unless God kept reminding you, stop doing that. Don't do that. I'm not like that. That's not who I am. I'm one which he does all, all over the New Testament right. or the Old Testament, excuse me. So it's, yeah, it would be very easy, I think, to to do that because of how specific and distinct some of these persons are are discussed. Right. So here, here it is. God is one. That's the known quantity. That's didactic literature. The Bible comes out right. and says it. God is one and emphasizes it. And God judges nations for denying it. Okay. God is one. That's the known quantity. Here's the unknown quantity. How am I supposed to reconcile all of these confusing passages into my understanding of God as one? And I will tell you, as a Trinitarian, I am able to accommodate all of this under my doctrinal understanding. That's such a good way to put it. If you are not a Trinitarian, the burden of proof is upon you to demonstrate why this does not lead you to that conclusion. And how are you accommodating? You can't just accommodate such a good word. We are including all of the Bible. And saying, I, I, there, here is a formulation. Stand on it, proclaim it, right. not back down from here it. Here is a formulation of doctrine that can draw a circle around all of that without cutting any part off because it's inconvenient. That's what Trinitarian doctrine is. It's, it's the way that God's church, guided by God's Holy Spirit, has been able to include all those things without saying, well, this one means that one doesn't count. Or, well, we just don't talk about that one because it's weird and we don't get it. It's like, no, all of these together can remain true. Without us denigrating one or elevating one or just brushing right under the rug, which is what you have to do if you're going to say, no, no, God's, 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 God's only one and therefore those are different modes of God. Then why, different modes of God don't get referred to as God, your God. Like right. that's not what that's saying, right? It, it's not consistent. So the consistency of Trinitarian doctrine is that it allows, even even what we're looking at the Old Testament, it allows all of those things to continue functioning and being true without any of them having to trump the, the other one. That's the consistent theme of today is the doctrine of the Trinity, we did not make it up, 
It is the church's understanding of the entirety of Scripture. It is the way that we are able to accommodate everything the Bible says about God. It's our response if you are going to, let to every yeah, sing, yeah. you want to let every passage of the Bible speak on who God is. Right. The only conclusion you can come to is Trinity. Right. And we have to keep relitigating this because people keep coming up to it every generation and, and thinking <laughs> that they're smarter than it. Yes, right. All yes. this has happened before, and it's all going to happen again. But we got to keep coming back to these things that are true. It's we are rather historically arrogant in this day and age. That's like, 2023. Are we still <laughs> believing that? It's like, yeah, because there have been smart, godly, spirit-filled Christians from the very beginning. And it's one of the first things that they worked out. And every time, and by the way, every time historically in, in, in church history, every time we mess with this, we go off the rails immediately. Yeah. Every group of people that has said, well, I've got some cool new ideas about that, actually. Let me, let me tell you about the, the instant problems. Yes. It's one of the quickest way, like, honestly, like church history, it's one of the quickest way to cause a weird cult with problems is to start monkeying with the idea of the Trinity. Yeah, and that on its own should should cause you to yes, be, it be aware. Now, what, I, what I've compared it to before is it's like a Rube Goldberg machine. It's like where there's, you know, one of those things where a guy's going to make breakfast because like a ball is going to roll <laughs> right. down the thing and it's going to hit a, a ping pong paddle. It's going to like slap a rabbit and then the rabbit's going like to eat a carrot and then the carrot <laughs> causes the thing right. to fall and cracks his eggs over the, the pan. It's... If you start messing with any one of these things, the thing falls apart. Why? Because we have tried to accommodate every single piece of Bible doctrine right. that is available to us. So that's the Old Testament part of it. And it's part of progressive revelation. God was laying down very plainly the foundation of monotheism. Only one being has the substance of godness. And yet, mm. leaving the back door open to introduce multiplicity, or as we say, distinction within that monotheism. And we need the full canon of scripture to answer that. So we're going to get into the New Testament now. God is one, but how do we understand what that is? We've talked about the angel of the Lord, the spirit of God, God's wisdom, God's word. And it's that last one, the word of God, that is picked up by the apostle John at the beginning of his gospel. So coming off of everything we know about the Old Testament, Zach, will you read John 1, verses 1 through 3, and then also verse 14? This is the humdinger, right? This is the This classic. is the passage yeah. on yeah, the yeah. Trinity. In the beginning was the word. You can probably, if you can, you can't see because this is radio, guys, but um, I'm counting on my fingers. Um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made Sorry, without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John, wow. That's one through John 1, 1 through 3, and verse 14. I counted at least two fingers, Tyler. That's certainly two. That's pretty spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> that that passage right there. Now you say, in the beginning was the word. What What is this all about? Well, it, it's referring to... Uh, a guy named Philo who kind of made this idea of the logos, a very prominent idea, trying to... He, very he, Greek idea. Philo was mm. trying... He was an Alexandrian Jew. He was trying to marry Hebrew uh, Bible with Greek philosophy. And uh, it's he's not that significant historically, except as this term that kind of was understood in, among Hebrew theologians to mean this, this essence of God, right? The mm. word of God, which refers back, by the way, to that... Uh, that passage we read in Proverbs where it says, by the word of the Lord, right? He formed it. If, if you want to, the first place we see the Trinity, in the beginning, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said in a word, let there be light. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
So what, what was hidden in the Old Testament becomes explicit. John takes all of these mysteries that we've just pondered. What does it mean to say the word of God created the world? I, I don't understand. What does it mean that in the beginning with God was the wisdom of God? That doesn't make any sense. What's that all about? John comes in and takes all of that and ties it to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. You read through John 1, it's very obvious. The logos is Jesus of Nazareth. We've read in the Old Testament that there are characteristics of God or personages like the angel of the Lord, distinct from God, sharing his divine attributes. And part of the question, if you're just looking at the Old Testament is, okay, is this significant? Or is it just Just maybe maybe sloppy or symbolic or metaphorical? John comes in and says, yes, it matters. God's word is not just an abstract idea or a special way to talk about the Lord. He is a person. He has always been. He was with God and he was God. Zach, that phrase right there. If you're not a Trinitarian, how do you answer that? How do you take that into your theology without trying to explain it away? This Jesus, this one who became the man Jesus, this Logos, was with God, but he was God. Oh, the word was God. Okay, see, it's easy. It's just that the word is just another name for God. If he said one of those things, it would would have been easy, but it's not. No, no, it's not that he was. Oh, he was just, yeah, the word was God. There, it's all just another name for God. No, he was with God. The word was with God. They are two two persons were next to each other. You're, you're, he's painting a picture in heaven. There were two persons next to each other. But one of these persons, John says, I saw. He, I, I, I actually, I, I <laughs> looked at that person. Glory. Right. So he's like, so that person also was a human person that I saw. So, so, so it's not, it's not just a, this isn't just a symbolic idea. That's a nice way to think about God. I'm, I am describing a phenomenon that I've witnessed. John says, right. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I didn't even really think about that. He's he's also grabbing on, like you said, to an idea that's out there in 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 the world of his day in the zeitgeist, almost of saying, yeah, yeah, you, you wanna you wanna talk about the logos? Let me tell you about the logos. I saw the logos. Yeah, like, I had I, dinner with the logos. Right. Like one time, you know, I used to lean up against the logos and ask him questions. Right. So he's like, he's he's explaining to people who wanted to just have it be this abstract idea, and he's making it like concrete down to like which the is physical. a lesson we need today, by the way, mm-hmm. because we're we're seeing this again. I know we we talk about this guy a lot, but He's he is presumed to speak on matters that are yeah. too lofty he's for him. In the, he's a he's in the word. world. Right Jordan now. Peterson has got this weird fascination with the logos, and he kind of describes it as Western culture values the word, the words, the spoken truth, logic. No, no, not, no, 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 no. Yeah, the word was with God, and the word was God. Oh, yeah. very interesting. Verse fourteen: the word was made flesh. Mm-hmm. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. No one can behold God's glory, but we beheld his we, glory. We did. Yeah, we saw oh, it's just, that's just regular glory. Like, no, like the Son of God, yeah. we beheld him. So I'll just say, and I've, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, getting excited here, but like, if you're a Muslim and you claim to believe the Injil, you believe the New Testament. Yes, yeah. If you are a Unitarian Christian, or if you are United Pentecostal or whatever it might be, and you believe in a, a form of modalism, you know, right? So I, I don't. I believe that God, Jesus was God, but I don't believe that He was different from the Father God. How can you explain to me that the Word was with God? That you have to answer that because that is a rather important passage yeah. in Scripture. God's Word is not an abstract idea. He's Jesus. He was with God and He was God, and He became a man, Jesus Christ. The New Testament fully explains that these passages about the angel of the Lord or the word or the wisdom of God were revealing a distinct person. You read that passage and you go, it almost seems like 
there's another one up there with him. That God's got a got a friend or yeah, a son, almost. right? And John comes in and goes, "Yep, it's the Greek word for word, logos. This person was fully divine. The word was God. You cannot get away from that. Jesus was the word made flesh. You cannot come out and say Jesus was less than God. The word was God. Also, the word was with God. The Old Testament's hints are fully confirmed in the New Testament. By the way, nor can you say that Jesus became God and was created later because he says, in the beginning was was the word and was with, right? right? So in the beginning is when we find God. And in the beginning, there was Christ already, pre-incarnate Christ. Mm -hmm. So, of course, centered around the revelation of Jesus. And Zach, in his Gospels in the New Testament, we see Jesus as God and yet distinct from God. What are some of the ways we see that? That's why they freaked out. (laughs) that's why like trying to kill him for this yes he's 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 distinct from god meaning they could look at him and he was around and he was walking and talking and he talked to god he said you know prayed father right he (laughs) says you know father i you know i always you always hear me like they're they're, they're having a conversation He, he wasn't talking to himself right he wasn't he wasn't asking he submits Right, that's that's the right. mind blowing. Not right? my will, but yours be done. Right. So, so there are two persons, one of whom had like he he is submitting his, which is that's even crazy to even think about. That's within the Trinity somehow. I know that's happening. But but I don't, but, I don't even know if just as a brief rabbit trail, I don't even know if the way that some people talk about in the, in the whole uh, the hierarchical discussion that we'll touch mm-hmm. on later, and people want to really emphasize you know the unity of God is like how do you accommodate a verse like that? It's, it's not crazy. my will, yeah. but yours. But but. Hang on. <laughs> oh, so it, so they're so I love you're this saying, so much, right? So you're saying, oh, so they're they're, they're totally, you know, yeah. So so that's right. So he's submitting. So he's lower. He's he's not the same. He's clearly no 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 because he also inflammatorily insists on being God. He 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 says, you know, John ten thirty. I and my Father are one. That's the Shema, by the way. Yeah yeah. He's he's that using, is the Shema. He's using the same and he's using the same language intentionally to poke them in the eye and what is the f- they, they picked up they rocks scoop rocks up him. yeah there's like oh really like you you, yeah. you know they knew what he meant he meant he he was appropriating like a like a putting a garment on you saying the shema is about me which right. is it, it, the height <laughs> of blasphemy for you couldn't be more blasphemous as a jew like that yeah, they was, knew exactly what he meant yeah. don't try to get cute with this no no jesus never claimed to be god bart ehrman it's like no, what yeah. do you think this is <laughs> right he he if he didn't claim every to be day god, they say hero israel the lord our god the lord is one hero israel the lord our god the lord is one jesus stands up and says hero israel i and my father are one yeah that word one <laughs> it's a, it's he's a not talking word. about like oh yeah. we're we're in solidarity no. with one another he's saying what you understand as the oneness of god I and my father I am, are. I that. am a part of the one. How do you even say yeah. we are one? That doesn't. No. That's not even a. It makes makes sense. He's declaring himself to be part of. The, he's declaring his person to be part of the oneness of God. Yes, it's a shocking thing to say. And, and then he says, uh, you know, uh, he says uh, before Abraham was, I am. Again, John using the using right? the existent the the I am. He's, he's appropriating the name of God that they wouldn't even write down all in four letters. They would take a break between letters. Yep. To, to write it down. God, and he God says, "Yeah, that that is my name." Like before <laughs> before Abraham was, that was who I was. Right. And the uh, thing is, too, yeah, by claiming that for those who are Arians who believe that you know Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, that Jesus was created by saying "I am," he is ascribing to himself that name. Yes. Which is the name 
from which we derive the doctrine of the aseity of God, which is the self-existence of God. Yeah, the eternity. He's right. claiming that eternity, that he's right. been around forever. Right. In the beginning was the word. Yeah. He's saying, hey, remember remember when, when the first time that Moses was introduced to God, God said that he was so existent that he could just say, I am. Yeah, that's also me. That's the best way to describe me, Moses, is I am. <laughs> right. Like, and that's, and Jesus says, oh, yeah, the that's being also, God. It's also the best way to describe me. Yeah. So, and, and then he says, you know, what, <laughs> I love it. What, he goes, uh, what's the Matthew eleven twenty seven? He says, all things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son. And the one to whom the son wills uh, to reveal him. Time out. That ver- I, I want to take that one again slower. Okay. Jesus, okay, you got the explicit statements. I and the father are one. Right, right, right. right. You've got, you know, before Abraham was, I am. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, if you're skeptical, Jesus in that verse, he is describing a relationship with God right. that nobody else should have claim to. No. He says, all things have been delivered to me by my father. Even that on its face. That's bonkers. That's, All yeah. things. I got have been everything to me by from my God. And no one knows the son except the father. Nobody knows me except God. Now that sounds like a bad tattoo that somebody gets on their chest <laughs> right. or something. But he continues, nor does anyone know the father except the son. Mm-hmm. And the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. He says, nobody knows me but God. And nobody knows God but me. That's what Jesus is yeah. saying. And if you want to know God, you have to. <laughs> you know have to. Me. Come you have to know me, me, and I have to let you know God. He says, "I have exclusive reciprocal knowledge of God. God <laughs> and I yeah. know each other intimately and perfectly. All things. I have the ability also and the authority to give you that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So this is that. This is what John meant when he said Jesus was God and was with God. So." He's that divine Messiah that was described earlier in Psalm 45, I believe it was. He's sent from God, but he's distinct from God. He he is God, but he's distinct from God. He's also a man, but we're going to hit that another day. But in the person of Jesus, you see how the psalmist can call Messiah God and yet describe the Messiah's worship of God. So we read Psalm, I believe it was Psalm 45 or 47, where he says, uh, oh God, your throne is forever. And God, your God, sees that about you. If you replace uh, God with Jesus, oh Jesus, your throne is forever. And your God, oh Jesus, sees that. Now all of a sudden this makes sense. Mm-hmm. That this is who the apostles, at the very least, said everything in the Old Testament was about him. Right. That that's who this is. And yet, God is God is one. You're still back to that. There is one God. That hasn't changed. But what we see here, what is obvious, and this is the part that the church had to arrive at this only by studying the scriptures and meditating on it. God is, there's only one God. We know that. Yet all we can say about looking at everything the Bible says about Jesus, obviously God must be more than one person. That's all that you you can say. If, if And if we go away from any of these statements, we're going to break something. Yeah, you can't like say that heat. Jesus and the Father are the same person because right. they're clearly not. They're playing operation with the doctrine. Like, well, if we go over here, <laughs> yeah, that, that that can't be right. So we can't say that. Okay, but what if we say this? No, that that can't work. Okay, well, so so clearly he kept telling us that he 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 had seen the Father. He kept telling us he came from the Father. He said he was going to the Father. He said he was. Like, remember when he said the one thing and they all tried to throw rocks at him? He he said he was he said he was God and John said he was with God. So he's got it's got to be like this because it can't be any of these other things. Yeah. So you look at that and you go, how am I supposed to make any sense of all this, guys? The Trinity. 
The doctrine of the Trinity is how you make sense of all this. This is why you can't just leave it and just say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that one. Mm. It also makes us so incredibly grateful and respectful for the Nicene fathers, for Athanasius in particular. What a... I mean, obviously, he was a man of God and he was inspired by the Lord. But what a what a theological genius this guy is. Mm-hmm. To sit there and say, oh, the, I, you might say whatever you want about monks. Right. Athanasius goes off into the desert. And what is he doing for years and years? He devoted his Thinking life to Thinking about the Trinity. Yeah, How does this make sense? He let go of everything else to say, we, we ha- if we don't understand this, we, nothing else is worth if it. If we can't get this, right. we're literally going to lose the church and lose the gospel. Right. So he, he he just gave himself to the Lord to study that and and not ju- not only that but then defended it against people who yeah, were coming his, for with him. his life yeah 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 and the Cappadocian fathers Gregory Gregory and Basil who came after him kind of capped it all off with the same doctrine of the tr- of the Holy Spirit I mean and this happened so quickly after the 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 church after the yeah everybody wants of everybody wants to paint it as some sort of like well then there's the New Testament and then it was slowly evolving you no know, like. First of all, it's it's present in the New Testament. We're reading you ver- stuff from the beginning of the New Testament. It's it's already there. First of all, so it's not this is not an invention after. And also, it's not like there's hundreds of years. Like from the beginning, guys are saying, guys, it's it's something like this. It's got to be something like this. And and similar to the canon, it it was more of them saying, hey, he said that. We know that's not right. So we've got to come up with a clear statement of what we believe because he's saying this, and we know it's out of line. And that was happening so quickly. Yeah. Now, Tyler. So, so you've got the, hold on, just you've got go the ahead. New Testament kind of, as I like to say, it eases us into this here. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know you've got all these questions and all these, you know, dissertations being written on who this wisdom of God might be. John goes, well, God told us because right. he sent him to us. He became a man. He dwelt among us and he explained it to us. So that's how we have a monotheistic foundation. Yet now we have distinction within the Godhead through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not very good at math, but I have been counting. And so far, we've got two, <laughs> right? All so, right. so we've got two. We've been, clearly there's complexity, but we haven't yet gotten. So far, we've talked about the Father a lot, and we've talked about Jesus a lot. Yes. So, so how about the third person? Of the well, tree? would you believe that Jesus is not the only person in the New Testament that is talked about in this way? I would. <laughs> <laughs> the Old Testament, even before we were introduced to the Word of God, we were introduced to the Spirit of God. Remember, we saw that in chapter one, verse two of Genesis. Yep. God created the world. Then the spirit of God was hovering. What's he doing there? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, who is this? Is it the same person? Is this different? I'm not quite sure. The Ruach. Who is this? Well, the spirit of God spoken of as distinct and yet had the qualities of God. In the New Testament, it confirms, yes. Yes. He is just like Jesus is. Was God and with God. Fully God and yet distinct from God. Just as Jesus of Nazareth was the incarnate word of God, the angel of the Lord, so the Holy Spirit receives his full due when we get to the New Testament. And the, the best passage I like to read on this one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Remember that verse from Matthew we just read where Jesus is saying, no one knows the Father except the Son, and nobody knows the Son except the Father, right? He's, he's going in and saying, I've got this special, unique relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is described in the same way by the Apostle Paul. Zach, can you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11? And yes. read this passage, guys. Hear it in context of the one from Matthew that we read before. It says, God has revealed this to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So that is basically the same statement made about the Holy Spirit that Jesus made about himself right. back in Matthew. 
that the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God. And what is Paul saying? He says, nobody knows the deep things of you except for you, right. your spirit. Right. So he is equating the Holy Spirit with God, and yet he is distinct from God. He has all the knowledge of God. That means that if he knows the deep things of God, that means he is omniscient. And who's omniscient? We do not believe in anybody who is omniscient Correct. except for Jehovah God himself, like Jesus. So can we just take a minute, and, and next week we're going to get into uh, some of these things in a little more depth. But just to emphasize one more time, Zach, I'll just let you hit this one. The Holy Spirit is not just a force or an idea or a nice way to talk about God. He is a fully <laughs> personal and fully God, yeah, just as is, Jesus. This is. is a big trap that we can fall into, even when we're Trinitarian people, and maybe we come from a maybe you come from a background or a tradition where the Holy Spirit is a little scary for you. Like you, we didn't really, we don't like to talk about Him, or we don't, we no, we're not really big on that. And so you can sometimes de-emphasize the Holy Spirit to the extent of saying some things about Him, even if you would say, no, 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 I believe in the Trinity, but you say some things about Him that are actually not right. Like they're kind of yep. like, for example, and I'm not trying to bash anybody I, I used to i had to be corrected on this one time by somebody who kindly reminded me that the holy spirit is not it right yeah don't like, call him it no like the don't f- use an impersonal pronoun to describe the trinity like the, or the, to describe the holy spirit you the, describe personal pronouns only the force the Bible in uses. star wars isn't it Yes. Right. It, it is in the tree. It is in the rock. You cannot, or, or like the life force in, in Avatar. Yes. Or, like. <laughs> or, or, or or like a lot of Eastern religions will talk about like the, the you know, the what is it? Uh, Maya or something. Or the, 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 the spirits of the earth, the, the, the force, the, the, the chi. That, that is not who the Holy Spirit is. No, the Holy Spirit is not. He's not present in this and present in that. He has lines. He yep. acts in active verbs. He the the he has the emotions. Holy, he has a will. In, we're going to hit all the. Oh all this yeah, next time. the Holy Spirit said to us. The Holy Spirit selected for us. The, you know he and and I I would encourage you to be disciplined in the way that you speak and think about the Holy Spirit because that will help you remember how important he is. How he is equally part of the Godhead and not to you know start to neglect the Holy Spirit in that way, which I, I yeah. would argue probably grieving the Holy Spirit. Yeah, totally grieving to the Holy Spirit. You know Spirit. what I mean? Like, the, Je- don't Jesus that. said that if you blaspheme the Son, you'll be forgiven, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. Now, I know that there is a there's a better way to understand that, and there's a more uh, special way, but like, I mean, come on. Don't, it, of all the, the, the one sin Jesus said wouldn't be forgiven is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You really want to Spend your time walking around with a low pneumatology. Right, right, right. Like, yeah. uh, surely he's, he's the love between the Father and the Son. No, 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 no he is yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, here we are. We have arrived at, with all the biblical data so far, three distinct persons who are called God, and yet they are all fully one God. Right. There's only one God, and yet we have three persons that are given that title. You have the God called the Father, the Word of God, who is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son, and also the Holy Spirit. You also could, I, I love this, you could translate it the holy breath of God, the holy wind of God. It's mm. the same word. Each of these is clearly distinct from the other. And yet each is in inseparable communion with one another. Three persons, but there's only one God. That's the Trinity. That is, what, what are we trying to do right now? We are trying to accommodate all of the biblical verses as they are given without trying to explain them away. And the definition that we use as shorthand to describe all of that in one word is Trinity. Let me give you a Bible passage that makes absolutely no sense if you do not believe in the Trinity. (laughs) Okay. Zach, will you read uh, Mark 1? Verses 9 through 11. I will. It says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay. 
You got the full picture here. Yeah, yeah. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit distinct from one another. The Son is in flesh coming out of the water. The Holy Spirit is descending from heaven upon the Son like a dove. And the Father speaks from heaven. So we have the Son on earth, the God the Father in heaven, and the Spirit in motion from heaven to earth. Who is he talking to? Right. Who Who is this voice? Right. This is my beloved Son. I, this is... Yeah. <laughs> if you don't believe in the Trinity, how do you answer this? What is that? Is, is he talking? What was to he himself? trying to reveal? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. people will say, "Well, it's just supposed to be a, a wonderful picture of who God is." Okay, but what that God is? What? Yeah, leading to what? Yeah. <laughs> that God is what? That that God is just a single person? Well, then why is he revealing himself in a way that might cause us stupid people to believe that there's more than one person? <laughs> This, is, this should demonstrate to us the necessity of a, of a fully fleshed out doctrine of the Trinity. The Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Spirit is God. And there is only one God. The Bible teaches this very clearly. We do not find the word Trinity in the Bible, but Zach, what else are you supposed to call this? Here, I'm going to give you an illustration like... and I'll, I'll let you go. But did you ever watch the show Recess? Uh, no, but go on. So it was a show on the Disney Channel about like kids playing on the playground and stuff. And there's an episode where... Uh, government decides that the test scores are not high enough. <laughs> so they decide that they're going to eliminate recess and they're just going to have to take tests every day. And as the show goes on, the kids just get really lethargic and they're doing really bad on their test scores. And so what the, the same guy in Washington decides is, I've invented this new thing to help them keep their test scores up. And he calls it Recus. <laughs> and it's basically recess, like letting them go out and play again. He completely invents the same thing, just calls it something else. That's what some people like, they think, well, not the Trinity, but... What else are you supposed to call it? If we didn't have this, we'd have to go back and do the same work of the oil. And that's honestly, that's the thing we need to be careful of sometimes is in, in a good, healthy being careful of not just, you know, swallowing whatever came before us. And, you know, we sometimes say, well, I don't know, man, I, I we got to go back and figure all this out ourselves. Guys, the arrogance, wonderful, of that, wonderful, godly, spirit filled, holy men died, literally died in some cases to help you understand this. You don't have to go back and do all their homework over again. In fact, looking at this, I do not think, and this is not just me sitting here in you know Alabama telling you this, I'm, I'm in concert with all of Christendom for 2000 years telling you that this is a solved issue. The Holy Spirit has given us the formulation that helps us to understand this in a way that does not contradict any of it Good which reason. is even catholics and orthodox and yes, protestants absolutely. agree on this one we do we, we all say yes this is the way to get it like don't 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 those people are wrong because they don't get it like this so yeah no this is literally if we didn't if we didn't have this doctrine we would have to come to this same i believe we would have to come to this same understanding and maybe we'd have a different term but we'd have to come to the same understanding because this is clearly the only thing that can accommodate the, re the revelation of, of who God is. Yeah, and I will say to those of you, and this is a very common thing what you hear when you say, well, what about the doctrine of the Trinity? And um, I find that if you start pushing on this and you start getting the scripture involved and all that, and somebody runs out of arguments, what they'll start to do is they'll start to tell you about all the terrible aberrations of the Catholic Church. And they'll say, well, they worship Mary and they have, you know, saint veneration and they, you know, the Pope and, and trying to say, well, because Catholics believe this, I can't believe this either. Don't the Catholics don't own Trinity? Yeah, that this has been doctrine since way before that right, term even right. meant anything. This was doctrine in the church before East and West split apart. This was doctrine of the church before there even was a pope. All the way back. So and don't let me just say this to you: yeah. if you have a, a you know very strong feelings about Catholicism, and I can't say that I blame you, how about you don't let them 
rob you of something that is your birthright because you're trying to spite them. It's not like the reformers rejected it. Like, yeah, it's and it doesn't make sense. Like church history. Yeah, well, guys, you, you end up in this long game of like nobody has ever believed in Jesus except our you know church right. of fifty and, people. And that's here. that's super arrogant, by the way, guys. Like, look, just like you can rightly, and I'll stand right with you saying there's massive problems in Catholic understanding of Scripture. But you, yeah, like they also read the same books you read. They add some that we don't accept, but they're reading the same books you read. So what are you going to reject them because Catholics like guys? It is a real act of arrogance to say like, oh well, because they messed up on some things, everything that has come before us has to be scraped off. Yeah, well, the, when did you invent Christianity then? That's very confusing. The doctrine right. of the Trinity was formulated eleven hundred years before the Reformation. Yeah, like, yeah, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is ancient. It's archaic. Like it's all the way back. So you can't you can't mess with this. So yeah. God is one. God is three, one in substance, three in persons. It's what the Bible teaches us. And next time we're going to get into some more details of this. But um, Zach, I guess now is as good a time as any to address 1 John 5, verse 7. Uh, this, some of you maybe uh, are wondering why we haven't mentioned this yet. We just said that there is no explicit statement of the Trinity in the Bible. But some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. What about 1 John 5, verse 7? If you have an old King James Bible or a new King James Bible, it has this verse, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Well, that just seems like a slam dunk, right? That, oh, there it is. There's the Trinity verse. Right. Unfortunately, this passage is almost certainly, and I'll just go ahead and say certainly, not original to the New Testament. And this oh. is not a hot take from me. I was going to say, uh, so you're one of those, you're one of those uh, higher critics who just rejects no, Bible I'm verses. No, okay. I'm not. Well, well, then how do how do we come to that? Okay, so because that's I just want to say that a lot of times people get very worried when when we do this carefully with good solid evidence. They say, well, you're just rejecting. You can't take verses out of the Bible. Why do we come to this conclusion? Well, this let is me, important. First of all, let me say this. I agree with what that verse says. Of I don't course. deny the statement. What I am in agreement with. Chuck Smith mm -hmm. and all, millions of other great godly Bible scholars. There's a reason this is footnoted in the New, New King James. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why right now. That there's people that howled when the New Translations took this verse out. They're trying to deny the Trinity. Well, here's the thing. You go back and listen to our episode on, on textual criticism if you want to understand more how this process goes. But y'all know we have, you, you know the Josh McDowell thing. We have thousands upon thousands of New Testament manuscripts, oh, yeah. right? Of all different versions. It, it's, it's wonderful, okay? Of all those versions, there are only eight that include that phrase that I just read. Eight of them. You, you can count them on two hands. The oldest one is from the 10th century. That's the 900s AD, almost right. a thousand years after the book was written. The others are from the 16th century, post-Reformation or later. Right. Very, very new, comparatively new yeah. documents. There are no church fathers who quote that verse. Mm -hmm. There are no translated versions, Syriac, Latin, that include it. Also, when Athanasius and Arius were having their fight over the Trinity, nobody quoted this verse. You'd think, You'd think that would be like, mm -hmm. duh, right. right? The only references we have to it are, are from these obscure quotations from these we, people. Just because somebody has a Latin name from back in the day doesn't mean they were a church father, guys. <laughs> it is perhaps the clearest example we have in the New Testament of a text that was introduced late and should be removed that, so that we can have the original autographs mm -hmm. of the New Testament. All right? Th this is... 
If you're the, we keep digging up new, newer and newer manuscripts, older and older manuscripts. We say praise God, hallelujah. Well, if you're gonna say praise God, hallelujah, you have to accept what they're teaching you. And what they're saying is none of these old ones have that phrase in there. Mm-hmm. What they all say, the ESV, for example, just says, for there are three that testify, and goes on to the next verse where it talks about the spirit, the water, and the blood. Okay? So this verse does not belong in the Bible. Zach, that's okay. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, we just showed you. We just demonstrated to you the doctrine of the Trinity, the Trinity without did, using that verse. You don't need it. Right. The Trinity doesn't come from this verse. Right. That certainly not. You know, the, the, yeah, 100%. We should never be afraid to sacrifice our favorite memory verses to preserve the integrity of Scripture. It is more important that we have an accurate, autographical New Testament than that the turn of phrase is the way that we've always been used to it. And, and if this puts you down, as it did kind of put me down when I, when I first read it, uh, I want to read you a couple things here. This is what, uh, there's a guy named Robert Letham. He wrote a book called The Holy Trinity, which is huge. And most of it is a doctrine, uh, the history of the doctrine, which is less than interesting sometimes. Uh, but, it, but it's still very good to have read. It's one of those, like, I'm glad I read it. I'm not picking that thing but up now again, I'm done, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's got a great appendix in that book where he lays out Trinity formula. Hmm. formulae. Nowhere in the New Testament do the Bible, do the writers go, this is the Trinity and here's how it works. Three gods and one person, one substance, three persons, etc. But what they do is they use Trinitarian language so often that it's obvious this is how they understood it. Each one of these passages that we're going to read to you now, and this is going to be kind of how we're going to close it out, is going to incorporate the Trinity in some way. These are verses that Trinitarians read that and go, hey, cool. And if you're not a Trinitarian, you are left scrambling to try to figure out how that one slipped through. (laughs) Keeping in mind that sometimes and very often in the New Testament, references to the Lord in distinction to God are references to Jesus, right? Jesus is referred to as our Lord, and then you have God the Father, okay? So, Zach, let's just take turns reading some of these back and forth. This is such an encouraging thing to do here. The obvious one comes from Matthew 28, 19. And, uh... Some folks really don't like this verse. United Pentecostals, for example, you should only be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, what did Jesus say? <laughs> he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's not a disputed passage. I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> and, and, and it says in Acts 2 that they baptize them in the name of Jesus. Ah, ah, there, see, there you go. Well, how about this? How about you let one of those passages be interpreted by the other? Right. That... If you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you were baptized in the name of Jesus. Mm. You're not. You have to believe that Matthew has been corrupted if you're going to read that, and that's right. a really dicey proposition. So, when I've baptized lots of people, and I baptize them all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's that's pretty important. Go ahead, Zach. You do the next one. This is from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Paul structured his lesson on spiritual gifts according to the Trinity. In a Trinitarian way, yeah. yeah. Diversities of gifts, same spirit. Diversities of ministries, same Lord. That's Jesus. Difference of activities, same God. That's God the Father. I mean, Zach... Went out of his way to do that. Yeah. He could have done it in a different way. So they didn't have the word Trinity, but he, right. they, they clearly, this is... You can recognize the, that that baptismal formula, Father, Son, and Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, you know, had already sunk into their language. Mm-hmm. So how about this one? Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, 
cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You've got three and one in that verse. And he the says blood the of Christ eternal spirit. Through the eternal spirit. Yeah, right. let's come back to that. Yeah. The blood of Christ, the eternal spirit, offered to God. What does that do? It cleanses your conscience to serve the living God. It's got the three, three persons and, the yeah, yeah. and yeah, one yeah, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just gr- good rhetoric right there. And you're right, Zach. It does refer to him as the eternal spirit. Right. Not, not just whatever happens whenever God does something. No, he's he's eternal. He's a pre-existent. He's yeah, yeah. Eternal. Isn't That's the a, Trinity fun? Yeah, this is <laughs> this is why I love to talk about mm-hmm. this because you have to defend it, but like once you can get past defending it and just start delighting in it, yeah. it's like, man, let's just go for it. Right, do another one. But you beloved, uh, this is Jude 20 uh, verses 20 and 21, Jude short. But you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Praying in the Spirit, in the love of God, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. He's starting to get to what what separates you from all these false teachers. Half of Jude is just a long list of insults of false <laughs> yeah. teachers. And Jesus' brothers, man, they were they were intense just like he was. But when he comes to this, he says, But what makes you different, among other things? Your adherence to the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. That you have a relationship with God that comes through the Holy Spirit. God the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. How about that, you guys? And even the way that these these formulae are written, you can do whole Bible studies on what it teaches us about each person, right? Praying in the Holy Spirit. That's pretty special. We get to pray in and through the Holy Spirit. Keeping ourselves in the love of God, right? God isn't just the wrathful one. God's the one who loves us. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, it's so cool. So next one, 1 Peter 1 verse 2, describing us as Christians. He says, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, Spirit, Son. Foreknowledge of God, sanctification I, of the Spirit, in, in blood one, of Jesus Christ. each of them are doing things, I mean, all of them, but there's like the economy too because each of them economy are doing things that only yes. God does. Who else has foreknowledge? Only God. Who else sanctifies? Only God sanctifies, but the Spirit's doing it. Who else, uh, you know, sprinkle the blood, only Jesus's blood, and it's not your, my blood doesn't count. Yeah. No human blood counts. So it's it's all of that is a- divine action, but it then is sp- separating it out and saying these different persons are doing those divine actions. Yeah, hey, pastors listening, if you want to do a fun Trinity Sunday message, just take that verse and explain the gospel in terms of the mm. Trinity, that God was the one who saw us ahead of time. Jesus is the one who shed his blood and the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us unto salvation. Free sermon ideas. There you go. <laughs> All right, do another one. Revelation 1, 4 through 5 says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first born from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Okay, so this one is a little more poetic as Revelation is. <laughs> yeah. He's talking about God the Father, him who is and who was and who is to come. He said, well, that's Jesus. Well, no, because a, a phrase later, he's going to distinguish Jesus from right, whoever this right. is. So this is God the Father, the eternal one who is and was and is to come. How is he going to describe Jesus, the Holy Spirit? The seven spirits who are before his throne. Uh, go listen to my Bible study on Revelation if you want to know about that. It's a heightened poetic way of describing the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's making reference to the menorah, the golden lampstand, and also possibly a passage from Isaiah here. But the number Holy Spirit. Number of perfection, number of yeah. completion. Kind of thing, yeah. And Jesus Christ with these three. Mm. He's a witness. He's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so can you see also, I'm just going to briefly mention this. 
Some of the later books of the New Testament emphasize this a little more, which huh. tells it's us... almost like the Revelation is progressive. It tells us <laughs> that what they were doing is as they were maturing on all the things that Jesus said and preaching on it for decades and teaching it and explaining it in a Jewish context that they were arriving at a common language and a, and a shared description. I'll read the last one here. And there are more of them, by the way, but we were just going to read a couple today. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Here's Paul's benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. He's got a Trinitarian blessing. He's giving a new benediction to the church that's structured according to the Trinity. You guys, you say, oh, 1 John 5, 7 isn't in there. Therefore, we can't believe in the Trinity. Well, what are you going to do with all this? What are you going to do with what John said in the in the, the Gospel of John? What are you going to do with all these things in the Old Testament? We're not denying that God is one. We're affirming that God is one. But we don't have to deny that all these persons are distinct from one another or that they're all God because that's how it's done. Right. right and the right. Holy Scripture is fully disclosed at the end of God's progressive revelation through Scripture. Yeah, the Old Testament hinting at it. The New Testament reveals it a little further. What's your job? Accept it. Mm. We didn't make this up. Back to what we said at the beginning. We did not make this up. The church did not just come up with this in some theological trance and, you know, there was debated and discussed and this seemed to be the way and, you know, Athanasius had tenure, so he hired somebody There's else no and conspiracy believed in his find. thing. It's, yeah, this, this is, is no. we arrive at this conclusion from a high view of scripture that we believe that everything the Bible says is true. Therefore, everything the Bible says must be accounted for. Mm. And if we really want to do that, then you're going to arrive at a description of God that he is one God, one substance in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. It's pretty rad, isn't that, Zach? It's it, There's a reason why, and, and it's, it's not a forgotten thing, but every generation, I think, has to dust this off and remind ourselves of this so that we can go out and proclaim Scripture the way it should be proclaimed so we can marvel at God the way we should. This is like a worship thing too, right? It's oh, like you, yes. to understand God and and understand his majesty, like you you want to know who he is. And, and you don't want and, and you don't want to It's not and let me just say this as, as we close. Just we're having fun here, guys. It's not cool to blow this off. No. You're not cool. You're not edgy. No, you're not to just be like, "Oh, whatever, man. Like I just that, that stuff is just too much for me to don't be dumb. People don't want to hear about this. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, first, yeah, first of all, you say pastorally, we, we teach this stuff from our pulpit at our church. Yes, they do. People are dying to hear. People are dying for you to reveal God and in explain his actual, the Trinity to me, please. Yes. And then and because then when you reveal God in his actual the immensity of his being, it commands worship. Right. If you reveal God in the in the silly pop gospel light you know, dressed down version of who you want him to be. There's no nothing to worship. It's it's yeah, that kind of pathetic, you know, limp wristed way of going yeah. about theology. Where it's like, hey, all people want to know is that God loves them, man. They don't want to hear about the Trinity. It's like, what, what better way of revealing the love of God do you have than than the Trinity? Yeah, man. This the, is you yeah. get this sense of catharsis when you do this. Yes, you study this Old Testament mystery. Uh -huh. that you're not quite sure to figure out, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene, and your mind just gets blown. It's like right. it's like the last piece shh, yep. slides into place. God confirms your conclusions, and then it leads you to thousands of years of meditation and worship and praise and theology, all the way down to this podcast we're having right now. Um, and, and I will confirm what Zach just said, man. People, 
When I teach on the Trinity, even if I just have a section on it, I get more questions after that of service course. than ever. And I have people say, thank you so much. That was so helpful, even as little pieces. So guys, we've got to, this will be another whole podcast on it. We've got to talk about this more. Mm. But what the point of today was to show you, this wasn't something we just came up with on our own. This isn't something we just made up. This is our attempt and our successful attempt, by the way, to accommodate every bit of information the Bible gives us about God. It brings us to a doctrine and a definition of God that we call the Trinity. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah. Well, next time we're going to look at each one of the persons of the Trinity in, in more detail. We're going to get a lot more scripture again because everything we believe needs to come out of the Bible. But thank you all for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope this is being edifying for you. I know some of you all, this might be new for you. We're trying to, to speak strongly because this is a key subject. This mm. is, affects the gospel. It affects how we believe in the atonement, all of that. So we're inviting you to participate and enjoy enjoy all this. We're not trying to do anything wacky. We're just trying to stay firmly grounded in the scripture. So thanks for listening again, guys. Be sure to check out Difference Makers. The audiobook is almost ready, guys. It might be available by the time you hear this, but awesome. uh, it's out there, ironworksmedia.org, or you can find us on calvarychapeltrustville.com. Find us on YouTube and all the usual podcast places, and we will talk to you another time. See you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.